0: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. Today's guest is Santil Musaswamy. He's a principal investigator at a lab named after him. He is a director of the Cell Biology Program Cancer Center, uh, Co-Chief Division of Translational Research and Technology Innovation, Associate Professor, Department of Medicine and Pathology at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center at Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. We're gonna have a great discussion today. Um, Cynthia has been working to help people that are facing cancer by understanding tumors, uh, by creating organoids out of the tumors and evaluating how to uh, develop novel drugs and recover old drugs, um, again, to help people with uh, with cancer. Welcome Cynthia, thank you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Very nice to talk to you. Yes. Yeah, so tell me, um, for people that don't know, what is, what is an organoid and how are they created and what are they used for?
2: Uh, I mean, an organoid, the way we define it, is an ability to use a culture system to recreate a mini organ like structure. So, in other words, the three dimensional organization of an organ or part of an organ is recreated in a lab dish. But it's not just the structure, it also is supposed to recreate some aspects or some element of the function of these. And usually, this can be achieved only by using primary cells or Embryonic stem cells, tissue primary cells, be it mouse or human, whatever it is. And when they are grown on appropriate culture conditions in a three dimensional matrix, they will allow these principles of self organization to form a structure that, to some extent, from a histopathological perspective, looks like a mini organ. So when you can accomplish this task, then you have, we consider that as being an organoid for that particular organ or organ subtype.
1: So, okay, so if you want to grow a heart or make a heart organoid, you don't necessarily have to start out with heart cells. You can start out with stem cells that were uh, encouraged to be stem cells from other tissues, right? Yes,
2: yeah, so you could. People have done that. So you can take stem cells. You can get stem cells. Well, if you mean – so there are different different levels of, the, um, of uh, stem cells here. So if you use pluripotent stem cells that have the ability to form any type of organ, then you can coerce them to differentiate towards heart and then you can allow them to grow and form a three-dimensional structure that looks like a heart. So that can happen. But if you take another stem cell, for example, if you take a colon stem cell, and then if you want to make that colon stem cell form a heart cell, that may not be possible unless you reprogram this. So because there are stem cells that are committed to become a certain organ lineage, and there are stem cells that have the potential to become any organ. And so the latter is called the pluripotent stem cells, and the the former is organ-specific stem cells. So if you want a heart organoid or a colon organoid, you could use a colon stem cell or a heart progenitor cell of some sort. Then you allow them to differentiate under three-dimensional culture conditions, appropriate media conditions, so that they form structures that resemble a colon or resemble a heart muscle or a symbol of a pancreas so to, a breast. Right,
1: are you, are you trying to approximate the entire functionality of an organ or just part of it? Is there so part complex? It.
2: Yeah, it's so complex. There are multiple cell types and there are multiple physical and biochemical and cell biological parameters involved in making an organ. It is very hard to recreate everything. So you may create a part of it. So to give you an example, if you were to take a breast structure, um, the ductal cells that produce the milk have a very characteristic organization but those ducts are now embedded within a very vast array of adipose tissue. So you cannot recreate the entire structure, but you may be able to just create the ductal structure that, create, that produces milk. And in a culture setting, you may allow them to form a three-dimensional structure that looks like a tube or looks like a sphere, and they will secrete milk inside and not outside. So that's, that's, that would be considered as an organoid because they not only recreate a structure, structure in part, but they also recreate the function in
1: so is the goal of an organoid mostly to test drugs and to see what will happen to that particular tissue construct or to see if you could even reconstruct, you know, 3D print or, uh, you know, create an organoid, an organ? I mean, what are the possible reasons to make an organoid?
2: Well, there are several reasons why people use it. And, and again, it depends on the person's you, uh, end goal in mind. If you're interested in, if one is interested in modeling disease, so in our case, we are interested in modeling a cancer tissue outside of a patient tumor, so we take a cancer piece of a cancer tissue where it is collected during surgery or during biopsy, and we culture under conditions where the cells now grow to form a structure that looks like the patient's tumor where it came from. So when we process our organoids and you send it to the pathologist, the pathologist can compare the organoid and compare the patient's tumor and say, this organoid came from this tumor. And so that level of similarity... Would allow us to recreate the patient's disease in a culture disc. If you can do that, then you use it for testing for drugs to see what may be the best possible way to treat this drug. What, what are the best possible drugs these cells respond to, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are many people interested in simply understanding how an organ forms from a developmental biology perspective. So, for example, we want to know how does brain form. And what are the early stages? Because once you understand how it forms, maybe you'll be able to understand why some developmental defects actually happen, whether it is brain or limb formation, whatever it is. So for those reasons, people are interested in modeling the normal development. There are also people interested in creating a normal organ like organoid, be it for liver or or heart, or grow them into three-dimensional structures. Now you use them to test to see toxicity because Most of the times you may have heard that a drug is given to a certain disease, but the off-target effects could be intestinal toxicity, could be liver toxicity, could be heart toxicity. In order for you to screen whether the drug is working on the disease site and not having bad effects on the other healthy organs like liver and colon, you would have normal cell-derived organoids of colon or liver or heart and then ask whether this drug is actually toxic or not. So there are many ways when people use it. I'm just explaining, I'm just outlining maybe three uses Yeah,
1: I've even heard now of people uh, linking organoids together to see the downstream uh, metabolites of one organ to another and see if toxicity shows up that way. Otherwise, it would be hidden.
2: Correct, yeah, correct.
1: So your specific application is what you're, you're getting a piece of uh, someone's tumor and you're culturing it into its own, I guess you're, you're recreating the tumor in the lab. Is that what you're doing?
2: Correct, so we're, we're interested in doing that for a few different organ types. For now, we are focusing on pancreas and breast. The idea is to get a piece of the tissue, grow them in the lab, um, allow them to form tumor organoids that have resemblance to the patient's tumor, and then use this tumor organoid to see what drugs may be most effective and what work and what doesn't work. And what we have found so far is when we find drugs that actually do not work or do work, and we relate to the outcome in the patient, there is a good concordance between what we see in the organoid and what is happening in the
1: patient, in so our what, initial study, one, So, Yeah, once you recreate a tumor, though, what, what are you doing with it? Are you putting it through paces of different medications? Or, like, yeah, so for example,
2: so uh, many of the um, cancer patients get different types of treatment. They either get the, the chemotherapies, which are targeting various cellular pathways that have been used for decades, They're also getting something called targeted therapies, which is usually targeted towards a specific um, mutation or an activity that is seen at a molecular level. And the advantage of targeted therapy is that it's supposed to focus only on the things that are altered in the tumor. But it turns out that whether it is targeted therapy or chemotherapy, not all patients getting the treatment respond the same way. So if you take two pancreas cancer patients and you give them the same drug, they will have different response. Although they both have pancreatic cancer, so they're both getting the same drug, but they have different responses. We do not know which will work for a given patient. So our goal is if we have the organoid and if we established from the patient, we can potentially screen five different drugs, for example, and see which of those five is most effective for this particular patient organoid. And if we know and we can rank order the best to worst, we may be able to eliminate unnecessary drugs to to be given to the patient, which may not be giving any response. Or we may actually even start with the proper drug. So there are many ways you can use it. So our goal is to see if we can use tumor organoids to find a better way to personalize the treatment options those particular...
1: In in the world of speculation, I know that's what it is, what are some of the reasons you think that patients that seem to have the same cancer respond differently to to drugs?
2: Um, It could be because the genetic makeup of uh, the tumor is very complex and it may be very different between the two patients we're talking about and maybe because they all started with some small changes but then the way it evolved is different from one patient to another. In fact, the current understanding also says that even within one patient, different parts of the tumor may have very different evolutionary path, which means they may have different genetic makeup. That could be one. So the genetics may be different. The age, the the sex may be different, and they respond different. The racial background makes an impact. Sometimes um, that has an impact on it. Um, person's body mass index or person's status of uh, of overall health status. So there are multiple parameters, and it is very hard to know exactly which one is contributing to this difference. And although it is hard to model everything, but there, is, there are many reasons why two patients may respond differently.
1: Well, I recently spoken to uh, a researcher that, that found that uh, tumors even have their own unique microbiome, you know, a microbial constituent. I don't know if you could account for that when you create the organoids, but, you know, if you get a piece of tissue, are you able to establish if there's a... Uh, microbial contingent that's attached to it?
2: That's a very good question. In fact, we have thought about it, but typically our culture conditions do not allow um, the microbiome to be preserved, so we do not have that, and that's a variable we have not started to model yet, but it is possible to do it provided we alter the culture conditions to retain the microbiome, Um, something that we should think about, but we haven't done so. But there is a lot of data emerging that says that the microbiome can have a significant impact in the response of a patient to a given drug. So I think that is that is an emerging topic that needs to be better.
1: Yeah, I can see it would be hard to preserve it. And maybe I mean, what, the problem is, what if that's like the main modulator of how a drug interacts with somebody? I mean, that's, you know, it's one possibility. So I don't know how you'd create an environment like that. I guess you have to create enough of a microenvironment that, you know, you'd be able to recreate the microbial constituent as well. So it's a tough thing.
2: Yeah. It is hard um it is hard, but the one one aspect of um, of the drug action is, is what is called the cell autonomous functions, meaning a cell's ability to respond to a drug is determined by itself, and there is a significant component of that for every drug action, and there are drugs that actually Function cell non-autonomously, meaning they do not really work on the cancer cell, but they work on the neighboring cells and in turn actually control the cancer cells. So in in using organoids to test drugs, we are we need to be biased towards the cell autonomous drugs because we're really simply asking the question, is the cancer cell by itself responsive to the drug or not? Um, so if we now use the organoid to test a drug that is cell non-autonomous, It would be an ineffective platform to give us any answer, so we won't use those kind of drugs. So we are going to go after and test only drugs that are uh, that are known to work on it directly on the on on the tumor cell and increase the probability of success in a patient. Mind you that if it works in an organoid, will not mean that it will work in vivo because of other microenvironment-based factors that can suppress the that the drug action in in a patient. Nevertheless. We can decrease the odds of it failing if we know it at least works in, in that organoid setting.
1: Well, what are you noticing as you're attempting to recreate a given tumor, you know, in culture? Anything that uh, you learned that surprises you or interests you?
2: Mm, I think the surprising element is that when we grow organoid from different patients, it is quite surprising to see how different they are. And we can actually look at the morphology of the organoid and the histology of the organoid and say that they are from different patients if nobody were to tell us that they are from different patients. And that is surprising to me if I really think about it from a biology point. How does a cell know to recreate the tumor in a lab setting? And I don't know the answer. and I don't think anybody knows. Um, I think that is an unknown unknown. If you, um, and I think that's a question that we are interested in. How does a cell know how to do this? And maybe that is something we need to understand if you want to control um, control this. So that's, that's an unexpected and surprising element of this whole organoid um, platform that I've been curious about. in terms of what we are learning, we are actually very thrilled, totally thrilled that in the limited number of relationships that we have explored between the patient response and the organoid response, the concordance of being able to model the patient's response in organoid is compelling, which makes me really motivated that it is possible, at least for the drugs we are testing, at least for these sort of cell autonomous drugs we are testing, it is possible to find which one is best suited for that patient. So that is really exciting for me because I think if we can accomplish that, that takes us into the next phase of how to personalize treatment options for cancer, at least for some of them.
1: Have you made a Pareto of possible effects on tumors you know, based on what you know? Is it possible to even do that at this point?
2: Can, can you please repeat that? I, I missed the first part of the question.
1: Is it even possible to make like a Pareto of most possibly effective to least effective on a given tumor knowing the factors that you know. Okay.
2: I think there's a lot of background noise. I, I, are you asking, is it for a given tumor, or you, am I able to rank order the most effective to least effective?
1: One second. Right there. Yeah, I had some interference. I apologize. Yeah, what I wanted to know exactly is if you were to rank order what you believe to be the most effective to the least effective um, methods for intervening with a tumor, or the, uh, yeah, I guess that's what I would say. I, have you, do you feel like you have a feel of that yet, or is it way too early to tell and more data is needed?
2: And more data is needed, but our preliminary studies say that we've used screen a set of drugs, 10 different drugs on organoid. Um, we should be able to rank order which one is the best and the worst for that particular patient in that particular organoid line, which may help us make the choices and what should be given to the patient. Um, I think I think the the initial indication definitely points to that, but I think we need larger, more, more more data to to confirm
1: this. Well, what about a class of drugs? You know, chemotherapy as a class versus immunotherapy as a class versus something else.
2: Um, immunotherapy, it's too early because we we have some recent observations that in immunotherapy may be adapted in the or in the organoid system that looks promising, but it's too early to tell. Chemotherapy. Within chemotherapy, there are multiple options a patient can be given, and with, among those options, we feel comfortable that we should be able to use organoids whenever it is possible to find the best possible chemotherapy, chemotherapeutic agents um, for that particular patient. I think that we, are, we feel it is possible, and I'm, our data points to that possibility. Whether it will be done clinically and in a routine basis, that requires further testing. I think that's too too soon to say um, how, how the results will pan out.
1: So the, um, the tumors you look at, are these all primary tumors or are they metastases? And have you compared the morphology and the growth pattern and the histology of Metastases versus primary
2: tumors. Yeah, so it's a mix. Usually mixed. Sometimes it's primary. Um, many times it's a metastasis. In a limited number of cases, we have compared the primary and the metastases from the same patient. Uh, the metastases do tend to be more aggressive looking and behaving um, than the primary tumor. And in terms of drug responsiveness, they do differ. It is very hard to say that one is more resistant to the other because it seems to be that if you test a panel of drugs, the sensitivities, there are some common, there are resistance, some common, but they also vary. So there are differences between primary and metastases, which is exactly what you would expect because it is likely to be a little bit more uh, advanced uh, than the primary tumor, so it may have additional sensitivities and and resistance pathways uh, triggered in that setting. So we do think that we can see Conservation of biology, which is metastasy, be a little bit more aggressive behaving in, from a culture point of view. And from a resistance point of view, it's likely to be the case. But it is the numbers are so small, we cannot make any broad statements for how, organ how our organoids are effective in making this difference feasible.
1: What about in looking at the genealogy or other factors, can you establish a lineage? If you look at a metastasy, can you tell, oh, this is not the primary, or... Oh, it is linked to this primary because of these factors.
2: Mm, no, we don't we're, we're not we haven't done anything in that space to really know if we can do that.
1: Good question. Well, maybe that would tell you something about how it evolves and give you some uh hint as to the um, you know, as to the primary, how it got to the point where it metastasized and what methods it used. Just an idea.
2: Yeah, I understand. It's an interesting idea. We haven't done that. No.
1: But what about on a given patient, have you you know, if they have, you know, God forbid! Unfortunately, multiple tumors on a given organ, let's say the pancreas. Are you trying to uh, look at several of them at the same time to see how they differ, or do you pick just one candidate on a you know on a given organ and work with that to create an organoid?
2: We have been only been uh, able to do with one tumor, uh, one tumor from per patient. And I know what you mean. If it is a large tumor, we should be able to get multiple sampling or. If there are multiple level nodules, can you get different biopsy samples from the same patient? Um, it has not been. We have not done something like that. Although it'll be a very interesting thing to do if you have access. To that. So we are we are asking the question using um, autopsy samples to see if you get multiple samples from the same patient. Can we learn something about how different they are in different sites? But that study is just underway. We don't have
1: any answers. Have you tried taking some of the cells and making multiple organoids side by side to see if all the organoids form the same way or if they form differently?
2: No. So I think they are. In, they are. If we take a patient's tumor and if you make an organoid, they are usually heterogeneous. Um, and even within within an field of view, um, one organoid culture from one patient, no, you know, very few are the same. There is always variation which is exactly what we would predict because patients' tumors are known to be heterogeneous, and I think the organoids are also heterogeneous. We don't see a culture of organoids that look identical to each other. That's almost never the case um, in in the organoid cultures
1: we have. I guess that makes it even harder because, yeah, I mean, each tumor is unique within a realm of uniqueness just from its uh, its heterogeneity. It makes it really tough.
2: In, in that sense, it becomes like a losing battle, but I'm hoping there are some trunco common root alterations that um, and sensitivities that we can tap on. Because in a way, that is the only way we can, we can control this sort of um, diverse population. What we need to find out, you know, the, use, use, to use the commonly used adage that we need to find what are the Achilles heel type of changes or sensitivities that are commonly conserved among these diverse population then ask and we now target them.
1: Well, has anyone tried to uh, take a tumor and sample like 50 different sites within the same tumor to see how it's, uh, you know, the, the degree or the nature or the character of the heterogeneity? And perhaps that yes. would give you a, maybe a narrow range of possible expression that the tumor can have even though it's heterogeneous.
2: No, that, those studies have been done for a while. Um, so there were some, cl- some historic studies published in the New England Journal some time ago in renal tumors and other cancers. You take the same tumor, um, one tumor and then sample them in multiple different locations and then understand what how is the genetics of these different locations uh and you know that has been done for renal it's been done for breast and many other cancers and the the revolutions is, is quite compelling because there is significant amount of divergence that happened within one patient tumor, <coughs> patient's tumor but if you um, look at the changes deep enough um, and if you do reconstructed and evolutionary tree, as you mentioned before. You could, in fact, uh, map some of the changes that are common to all of them, some that are branch points and diverge, and diverge in different directions. So you can clearly map out a tree, a, family, uh, a branching tree. If you, um, It is possible to do it. Now, then if you ask, will that information help you, say, what are the minimal number of things that are likely to happen in a given tumor? I don't know if that is possible.
1: Yeah, well, I didn't realize it's so complex. This it is, is
2: extremely. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it is. But I, I do think there is a way in which we can find some commonality I'm very I
1: know you're, you're searching for them so what, what do you think will be uh, as possible for your work in the next you know five years? What do you think you're going to figure out?
2: Well, I think there are two fronts. one is that um, potentially three maybe one is that I think to date we have not been able to efficiently find ways to find the best possible treatment for a given patient. I'm hoping things like organoids and other other applications will allow us to find the best possible way um, to match the patient's tumor sensitivities and culture to the patient so you can minimize toxicity and maximize responsiveness of a given drug. So I hope that will be achievable in the next five years. The second is that most of the drug development effort or or the drug discovery efforts currently uses um, some old cell lines and other model systems that that are not effective in modeling the the huge amount of diversity we have come to recognize for the patients. So the different patients, pancreas cancer or breast cancer, are so different. So unless we use primary patient material like organoids and other things for finding out what drugs work best, we may be having so much false positive rates. And I'm hoping in the next five years there will be more use of these type of patient material-derived culture to screen and find good drugs. And if we do that, maybe we'll be able to have less failures at the same time, find new things that we never thought about before. And having this kind of platforms as a screening platform for doing this could be something to be achieved in the next. I think the third possible outcome is this this new... um, impetus we have as a field on finding new immunotherapy options for, for, um, for cancers, I think it can be actually significantly enhanced by using um, organoids, because I think organoids may be able to allow us to co-culture with immune cells and try to begin to model immune tumor cell interactions in a culture, and we can use that as a platform for discovering why sometimes it works and why sometimes it doesn't work, how can you make it better, et cetera, et cetera. And I suppose I think there's also a fourth possible outcome. I didn't think it was before, but as I'm answering, I realize. Um, is, is we may be able to use organoids from patients to, undis- to find new biomarkers. For example, we have some thoughts that it is possible to use organoids as a way to find what may be the most efficient biomarkers, whether it is secreted or in a tissue. And all of these put together in the next four or five years, I think we may gain, a major advance in better ways to personalize and better Better treat even patients, can hopefully see it, detect it sooner, because that's probably the best control. This well,
1: very good. Well, Cynthia, what's the best way for people to find out more and to look at what your lab is doing?
2: So we have a lab website. It's called Lab.org and we post information there. We post reports, and it has a, also gives a good summary of uh, what, what our interests are and what we, what we stand for. And so that, that'll be the best place for us for Your
1: last name is M-U-T-H-U. S-W-A-M-Y, Swami?: Yes, correct. All right, great. Listen, to, thank you for coming. It's been a very good call. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much for taking time into it. I appreciate you taking, uh, give, giving us a chance to talk about
0: what we do. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues.